Welcome to the Edimentium Podcast, episode number nine. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you had a nice weekend. Who was watching the Academy Awards last night? Uh, as you could probably tell from previous podcasts, I'm a big moviegoer myself. So I was definitely watching along, had my ballot filled out. Uh, I did okay. I think I got 16 out of the 24 right. And I didn't see all the movies this year, but I did see, I think, about six of the nine. But I really liked a lot of them. I really liked Shape of Water and Three Billboards. And I really liked Coco, so I, I was pretty happy with most of the results. I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a good job again, uh, but he was beat out for having the funniest part of the night because that definitely went to Kobe Bryant winning an Academy Award on his first try. <laughs> Let me know what you guys thought about the Oscars. Uh, shoot me a tweet, Twitter me this, Twitter me that, at Adam R. Harrison. Uh, again, you can follow along on Facebook as well, at The Adamantium Podcast, and on Instagram, at The Adamantium. Look forward to hearing from you. As always, we've got a great show for you today, uh, especially if you're a sports fan and particularly a footy fan. We've got Dick Howard on the podcast. If you watch English Premier League on a Saturday or Sunday morning, you will recognize Dick from the Halftime Analysis Show. Dick has also covered all major tournaments, including World Cups, over his broadcast career. He played as a professional goaltender back in his day and played for Team Canada. And this year is a really big year, uh, a really big soccer year. We've got a World Cup coming up. So Dick and I had lots to talk about the World Cup, the Champions League, English Premier League, uh, and of course, our favorite team, Toronto FC. And we talk about how Toronto FC has influenced soccer in Canada and just the overall state of soccer in Canada at the moment. Dick is a, a really nice man, a very humble and down to earth. He, he had me over to his house to talk soccer. And, and we even kept chatting even after the podcast had wrapped up to things beyond soccer, to life in Toronto and the, the people we've come across and, you know, music and, and the upcoming Rod Stewart concert. But if you are a soccer fan, then it's a must-listen-to podcast, in, in my opinion anyways. And before we get started, we want to send our best to our boys at Toronto FC. They've got a huge uh, CONCACAF Champions League game this week against Le Tigre. The home opener this past weekend started a little rocky, but uh, we've got faith in our boys that they can uh, pull it together and, and play like we know they can and get a result here in BMO Field before heading down to Mexico. So uh, let's not uh, spend any more time on this intro. Let's get started right into the podcast with episode number nine with Dick Howard. Thank you, first of all, Dick, for coming on the show. My Very pleasure, I appreciate it. Always and good talking to somebody about the world's game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like I said to you before we started, there's plenty to talk about this year, especially. Um, but before we get into teams and, and leagues, and uh, I, I want our knowers to, to get to know a little bit about you. And um, one of the things I was always, I've always been interested in about, especially with broadcasters, like yourself, is how, how did the transition happen between being a player and a coach to doing broadcast? It was an interesting transition because in the, the late 70s, early 80s in Toronto, there was very little soccer on TV. And at that time I was coaching, so I had not to, to worry about the training and the likes of things in that regard. I was doing some work with the Canadian Soccer Association, but time and time again, people were saying, we need to see more soccer on TV. And my wife uh, was working at CFMT at that time, Channel 47, 
and I met up with a gentleman called Dale Barnes. And in our discussions, we thought, well, let's tie in with something that's a major event, and it's the FA Cup. Mm-hmm. And what that was, was the Road to Wembley series came out of that, where with a friend of mine, Mike Povey, we co-hosted a program every Friday night, I think it was, and we followed teams right the way through from the early rounds of the FA Cup to doing the final live mm-hmm. on TV. And to get the interest, we also wanted to get people involved, so we had a little competition. So you'd have a quiz question, which you could only answer the questions if you'd been watching the programme, so there's a double whammy mm-hmm. there. So you'd send in your answers. We'd made a weekly draw, and 12 weeks later, when the tournament was finished and uh, the teams were in the final... We said, okay, if you're drawn on the final game, we will send you over to the FA Cup final itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got a deal with British Airways for two business class seats and a BA flight to London. We got uh, four days accommodation at a hotel in London. We got uh, pocket money and we got two tickets for the final. So, and I've still got some of the replies with people oh, had a yeah. great time. They, they went to the final game and, and really enjoyed it. So that was what started. Do you remember what the final was that year? I can't remember the first <laughs> one that we did, but uh, it's quite funny actually because one year, we ran for three or four years the uh, Road to Wembley show. We ended up going to London to do some... Uh, and get some information for the upcoming final and BA were very good they flew us over for a few days we went to Wembley did the tour of Wembley which is very interesting for those that haven't been and I'm talking now of the old Wembley mm-hmm. as opposed to the new Wembley and we thought oh geez, it'd be great we had a gentleman called Bob Wilson helping us the former Arsenal and Scotland goalkeeper and he said oh let's just I'll take you out and show you some the areas around the gold mouth that uh, we can tie some stories around. And there's a marvellous shot of the three of us walking across the field and suddenly you hear, what the heck's going on? And it was the groundsman had spotted <laughs> us walking across the field and now it's hallowed turf. Right, you know, yeah. You're not allowed to walk on the field because of obviously damaging the, the surface. And he came striding out and he's got it all taped of this groundsman walking out towards us. Thankfully, we had Bob Wilson with us yeah. because uh, he was able to explain what was happening and we, we got around it. But uh, I always remember that, the three of us feeling so embarrassed at getting the red card yeah, that, yeah. and being sent <laughs> Thrown off, off the field, field. Wembley. But uh, that was where it really started, Adam. And uh, from then on, uh, we got into... Um, there was a daily show coming out of it and then a weekly show and more soccer coming on TV but Mm -hmm. you still at that time had to search for World Cup finals and those kind of games eventually and this happened in 1986 when Canada qualified for the World Cup of course Mm -hmm. CBC covered the tournament because Canada were in the tournament and at that time I was uh, on the books of the Canadian Soccer Association so I wasn't able to do anything with regards to the uh, tournament, but uh, just do an analysis of the tournament with other coaches from Canada. Mm -hmm. And from that analysis, we put some programs in place that uh, we used across the country. But uh, as I say, late 70s and early 80s, 
very limited and uh, you had to go to ethnic clubs to get games that were being brought in from South America or right. Italy or England. Well, even up until, even in recent, up until the last few years, I remember we had to subscribe to all kinds of networks and channels in order to get yeah. even English Premier League sometimes, yeah. you know, yeah. um, you know, which is probably the most widely watched, but even still you were only getting, you know, the top the top matches. Yeah. If you wanted to watch anything else, you had to subscribe to like a you know like a BBC television or something. Yeah. Because um, we had we had them all at home, uh, or Sky Sports yes. and stuff like that. But yeah. now, I mean, I mean now with streaming and stuff, there's all kinds of places you can get it from. But I mean, that's only just even within the last few years. Yeah. No, there's a time where you'd have to go to Maple Leaf Gardens to watch the uh, the World Cup final on TV. It's unbelievable. In, in eh? the they watch the final. As I say, once you got into the 90s, uh, there was more interest. You started to get, of course, with the onset of the uh, Major League Soccer in 96, there's more exposure that way. And yeah. now, geez, you need to have a PVR to tape all the games. All the games you know, that are on. I was kidding the guys from TSN the other day that I think they had 12 Europa League games on in one day. Right. You know, they're just bringing games in from all over the world. And uh, with BN Sports, in addition to TSN, to Sportsnet, mm. to CBC, you're, you're seeing a lot of TV. So, so let me ask you then, because you, you came to Canada in your, your 20s. Am I right? Yeah, I, I was uh, 23. I, I came to Canada uh, the year England won the World Cup, 1966. Right, okay. So, so Wait, uh, so were you in England at least when they won it? I was at the final itself. You were? You went to the final? The uh, World Cup final in 1966, England-West Germany. I was standing next to a gentleman who was supporting Germany, West Uh Germany, (laughs) and he had a big cowbell that he was ringing all the time. Yeah. Thankfully, he didn't ring it as much as we applauded because England, of course, as we know, won that game, that historic game. And that's probably a a memory that you'll never forget. Oh, it was fantastic. (laughs) It was fantastic. You know, we never slept that night. (laughs) It really Probably was, the few uh, nights after, too. <laughs> it was a great time for English football, of course, mm-hmm. because with the tournament being in England, I watched a lot of the preliminary games at Goodison Park, Liverpool, because I was uh, living and, and working in the Merseyside area yeah. and saw some great games there. So uh, the great Eusebio have a magnificent game for Portugal against the team from North Korea, who had beaten Italy, dare mm-hmm. I mention it, in an earlier game and uh, they were leading uh, against uh, Portugal until Eusebio took over and scored I think four goals and Portugal won the game 5-3 but uh, it was a it was a great event and the country embraced it of course and in recent years there's a move to try and get England to host another World Cup but it mm-hmm. hasn't happened and we just relish those marvelous days it's a long time ago it was a long time ago yeah and and actually i do want to talk about the english team in a little bit but before i want to i want to keep talking about so um what what brought you over to canada in 1965 i spent the summer months three three weeks in the summer with my relatives joan and doug my aunt and uncle and they were living in wilton connecticut okay so i came over to the states and at that time, uh, you know, soccer was very limited. There were some international tournaments, but mm-hmm. very little soccer at the top levels of the game. But there was talk of 
a league starting because a lot of interest was going to be developed mm-hmm. for the World Cup being played in England. And that triggered it, I think, because the North American Soccer League started in 1968. But I was there staying with my aunt and uncle and talking to people and I, I thought, geez, I really enjoyed this. If there's an opportunity to come to North America, I'll take it. Because at that time, you know, I was just an average player. I was on the books of Chester Football Club, mm-hmm. playing in the, the second team most of the time. Uh, I was realistic and my father was realistic because he said, get an education before you turn professional. So. I thought, yeah, I'll do that. So I, I got my education completed, got my diploma in phys ed at Chester College in England, uh, spent the summer with my relatives and thought, geez, if an opportunity arises, I'll get to the States or Canada. Mm-hmm. And it so happened that there was an ad in the Times Literary Supplement, the educational paper that came out, listing jobs, and it was a, at a school, Crescent School here in Toronto, yeah, Canada. Yeah, yeah. And I applied for the job, got the job, got the princely sum of $4,400 for a year's salary (laughs) and uh, thought well I'll go I'll teach and I'll try and get involved in the local professional or semi-pro scene which is what happened I played for a team in Hamilton Hamilton Primos and at the end of that season some of the players in the Primo said look Dick why don't you come with us we're playing in Rochester New York they want some players from Toronto to play for their team which is playing in the American League mm-hmm. so I thought why not you know nothing to lose so I went down played two or three games fortunately for me at one of the games was the, the coach of a North American soccer league team in Detroit Detroit Cougars and I had one of those games where everything went right, right yeah. know, and we beat a very good Washington team 2-1 I was offered a contract and ended up uh, in 1968 signing for the Detroit Cougars Okay. and playing in the North American Soccer League. Played in the very first game, actually, in March against oh, wow. uh, Atlanta in Atlanta. We lost 2-1. I got off the bench because the first team goalkeeper, Jim Standen, a former England international, got injured and I came in and played in that game and played for the remainder of the season with the Detroit Cougars. Mm-hmm. At the end of that season, unfortunately, the Cougars, who were playing out of Tiger Stadium in Detroit, didn't draw very well. Had a not too stellar a season. It was really a, a tough season, even though we had a good team. And the club folded. The team folded at the end of 68 mm-hmm. season. So I went back to Rochester and then started a career playing a couple more years in Rochester and then got traded to Toronto and... The rest is history. Yeah, it's, it's a great story, and it's, it's it's it interests me because you, you it's 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 interesting how the opportunities came to you over here rather than a country where soccer was already is so yeah, established yeah, or where the was yeah, created, yeah. you know, and rather you came here where soccer was kind of struggling at the yeah, time. Yeah, I always wanted to to travel. I enjoy traveling, and uh, you know, looking back now, <clears throat> fifty years plus. 52 years plus, isn't mm-hmm. it? Uh, what it led to it was tremendous because if I stayed in the UK, I would have got a job at a school teaching, probably played semi-pro, uh, and that would have been it. Had it raised a family, and I, so you don't think your career I would did, have went the same way no, had you no not come way. over here? You know, it, it's the, the best thing that I could have done. Yeah. The only sad thing 
is of course you you leave your family, your, your family, parents, yeah. and you, all your relatives in the, who are Muslim mm-hmm. in the UK. But from a personal standpoint, it was great, and uh, the fact that I was able to play in the North American Soccer League, then get into coaching at the, at the national team level, become the technical director for Canada, to do work for the International Federation mm-hmm. globally, and still do. And then tied in with that was uh, the TV. Right. So what do you think, I mean, because uh, the status of soccer between then and now is incredibly different. And what do you think were some of the right movements that we made here to kind of increase the interest in soccer in? I think within Canada and... uh, and even the United States. And, and the, the States, say, 1966, where it all got started. Mm-hmm. And uh, the North American Soccer League took off, of course, finished in 1984. Toronto was still got one of the few teams remaining at that time. But it was a remarkable era, you know. Yes, they say they were all over-the-hill players, but when you've got players of the calibre of Pelé, Beckenbauer, mm-hmm. over. Cruyff and, and the like, Yes, they were in their 30s, but they still had an aura. And there were a lot of characters that played in the North American Mm -hmm. Soccer League. And it really, I think, doesn't get the recognition that it should do because it did result in a lot of people being turned on by the game. Right. More started playing. The colleges and universities started to play more. And when it finished there were sort of minor leagues that continued it until Major League Soccer came along and that came along because of course the USA had the World Cup in 94 right. and that triggered the same response as happened in 66 mm-hmm. for the NASL 94 for Major League Soccer so it's it's around even a major tournament can cause that kind of exactly, yeah. exactly. and even MLS in, even in, in recent history still kind of has that same strategy bringing over those players yeah um well, you had the Beckham rule, which I think is an indication of the way they look. They, they want to be the best. And mm-hmm. uh, they brought over David Beckham, who both on and off the field was a was known commodity. League, yeah. And since that time, of course, we've seen many great players. Thierry Henry. I mean, he's still involved with the league. Kaka, you know, there's many great players that are, that are coming over and playing. Plus, you've got... An increased number of American and Canadian players, as well as foreign players, playing mm-hmm. at a good level of the game, and and that's why I think, you know, with, with TFC and their marvelous season in 2017, and their quest for you know the Confederate you know, yeah the Concacaf the Concacaf yeah. Champions League. Do you think that will the 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 recent success of Toronto? Do you think that will maybe even spark more? interest in youths to start playing and I think it's there I think there's a lot of youngsters playing the game now there's a lot of male and female players playing that really want to make the game their their career and Mm -hmm. it's happening now with Major League Soccer you've got a women's professional league in the states as well the Canadian players play on uh, but I think that uh, at the lower levels of the game, you know, we call it the grassroots level, the under-12 mm-hmm. players, is just 
booming, you know, with, with mini okay. soccer being played everywhere and development programs being put into place in the country. And it's certainly happened in the States where they've got a lot of participants and it's starting to happen now in Canada with regards to the overall development of the game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, and I agree, uh, and especially even just with Toronto FC because, I mean, now I, I was looking the other day and not only, and the, my, I mean, my dad, we were talking about my dad's club, they, they played against TFC2 and stuff, but now mm-hmm. they've even got TFC3 and, and the academy and yeah. they're really bringing people up from that grassroots level that you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, they have a remarkable training center, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a marvelous facility and that, that's where all the, the future stars getting their training and as you rightly mentioned they've got the development from the young players right mm-hmm. the way through to the, the senior team so then what about like I mean that there's a kind of like a peak in Toronto but then how do we do you think the interest is growing in, in other places around the country like places like Calgary and well you know that are maybe a bit smaller but yeah I, I think you know there's always been in the pockets in, in Vancouver mm-hmm. in Montreal, in Calgary, you know, there's been little pockets of interest. But I think with this Canadian Premier League that's mm-hmm. due to start in 2019 next year, okay, I think will help with regards to the development across the country. Right. We did have the Canadian Soccer League that started play in 87 mm-hmm. and finished in 92, which was, I think, the first professional league that went from coast to coast because... There was uh, a franchise in Nova Scotia, yeah. and the Vancouver franchise and Victoria franchises out in BC were always very strong. In fact, Gordon Hill, the former Manchester United player, mm-hmm. was the coach of the team in, in Halifax, mm-hmm. Nova Scotia team. And uh, unfortunately, that league didn't continue after '92, but there were so many good players that came out of that mm-hmm. players and coaches that, uh, you know, the Paul Pesci Salidos and people of that nature. Yeah. Nick Dasovic and those. Nick Dasovic, yeah. you know, the, the list goes on. And I think uh, that league, and that league was in play when I was at the Canadian Soccer Association mm-hmm. as a technical director. And so, it really was um, a good caliber league. And that is significantly earlier than the one that started in the... In the, the Major League Soccer. So do you think Canada, say in a few years then now with these fillers, it w- could be a World Cup qualifying team? I mean, it, it still seems kind of almost a little embarrassing that they're not <laughs> making it as far as you think they should with, yeah. you know, the caliber of, uh, you know, of football that we have here. Yeah, it's been so close because uh, I was I mean, on the coaching staff of the team in 1981 where we were trying to qualify for the 1982 mm-hmm. World Cup in Spain. Final game was against Cuba. We win the game, we go to Spain. We tied the game 2-2 and El Salvador went with Honduras mm-hmm. to the tournament in Spain. Of course, four years later, finally Tony Waiters did a marvellous job of bringing a, a team together because there was no Major League Soccer at that time. There was no NASL. Mm-hmm. The players were either playing indoors or under contract to the CSA or maybe there were three or four players playing in Europe. Yeah. But he managed to get the results and that final game in St. John's, Newfoundland, one of my favorite memories of all time, 
when we beat Honduras 2-1 and qualify for the World Cup mm-hmm. was just tremendous. Yeah. It was yeah. a great place to be that night because I don't think we slept that yeah. night in the celebrations. And that was, that was great. We thought, well, this is the start. But unfortunately, in 1990, we went out early in qualifying. In 94, again, we lost in a playoff game to Australia. In, yeah, we just seemed to have a run of, of a lot of bad we luck. We never and got there. And then in recent years, we've, we've come close. But uh, Well, even I believe, was it 2010... All we needed was a, a draw against Honduras to make it through to yeah, the next yeah. round or something, and we ended up losing five nil or something yeah. like that. And it just, you know, and, and I think it might have been the, heavier than that. Then. Yeah, the, the part that's that's frustrating too is we, you know, we have the odd excellent talent, but a lot of them are going elsewhere if they have the option. Yeah. You know, like like the Owen Hardgraves and uh, yeah. you know uh, Jonathan de Guzman and stuff like that. That you know, if they did play for our. But you know, given that option, it and I, actually one one thing I always wonder is you know it's similar with with hockey. They always say the best hockey players come out of s- small towns because when they're yeah. growing up, they don't have as many options of what to do. You know, things yeah. to do. They can't. Yeah. You know, in the city, you have any number of things yeah. to do, right? So I often wonder if it's the case with you know these Central American countries that are beating us. You know, are these you know they don't have the facilities we have, but maybe it's because their interest level. You know, they don't necessarily have the options we have so they're playing all the time yeah. and soccer's a fairly simple sport too you know yeah. it's not like hockey where you need tons of equipment yeah. and stuff you know you get a ball and a group of guys and yeah. and so they're probably spending all their time I, I often wonder if that's kind of like a similar theory as they say with hockey to, to soccer yeah it's a good point because uh, there certainly are talented players and I, I know in in talking to the new men's national team coach John Herdman mm-hmm. he wants to make sure that everybody is scouted uh, a program that he has developed with the women's national team that the Excel program we've seen the results of that well, I mean the women's the know, women two have bronze yeah. medals in the Olympics is just fantastic and now with the move of John Herdman to be the uh, the men's national team coach and also implementing a similar type of program probably to the women I think we'll start to see some very positive results. Peter Montopoli was talking the other day at a press conference and he said it's a new era in Canadian soccer. And I, I'm inclined to think positively in, in of that course, regard yeah. because I think uh, John Herdman will do an excellent job. Uh, I think with the, the Canadian Premier League will help in expanding it across the country into communities other than Vancouver, Montreal and Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, things like this uh, are going to help in in the long term, but uh, it's going to take time. And certainly now we've seen with the women's program, it's it's been really great to see that that kind of progress. Mm -hmm. So let's hope it can happen with the men. But uh, no, I think it it is a new era and uh, certainly I'm looking forward to being maybe a viewer of it rather than participating in it, but yeah. I'm, I'm very confident. I, I hope so too, and I think, I mean, having a, a team like Toronto FC at the moment only helps, you know. And oh, it, it's been it's just certainly the best team that's represented Toronto ever, you know, and I look back at the Metros Croatia in 76 when they won the NESL championship, mm-hmm. but uh, they're certainly the best team I've ever seen in Toronto, and... Uh, well, I mean, it's 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 interesting for yeah. for someone like me who, in 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 my history, yeah, 
it's I haven't had any reason. I mean, the last time anyone won anything was the Blue Jays in '93, yeah. and I was only five years old at the time, so I don't even remember that. And I mean, I used to follow every sport, but as soon as Toronto FC started, my most of my interest went yeah. into Toronto FC, and we've we've been season's ticket holders since the first season, yeah. and so. To, to experience last year was something it almost felt surreal because yeah. it was like going from zero to you know a hundred zero to <laughs> hero yeah. zero to hero you know yeah. and it was almost I didn't almost know how to react you know because now suddenly we're being called yeah. even you know maybe the best MLS team in history yeah you know yeah no certainly with the record you know uh, points and, and they broke all kinds of records this past season yeah and it was a very good team. A lot of depth in the squad. The, the players would come in and take over from injured players. I think the, the quality, Greg Vanny's got a quality mm-hmm. staff working with him. I think Bill Manning and Tim Bezpachenko are doing an outstanding job. So I think behind the scenes, I've been very impressed with the way... Things have been moving. Things are moving and certainly on the field. It's early days, of course. Uh, just had the, the, the two games against Colorado but uh, and did you, I'm really looking forward to this game the, the Tigres, Tigres yeah it's going to be int- and what did you let me ask your opinion was, is, did you I must, you watched the two games against Colorado yes so what, how, what did you think of of the quality of play and how did they look in those first two I games I think in the first game it, it took time to adjust but uh, the conditions weren't ideal and I, I think they adapted better to the mm-hmm. conditions took the chance as well the game at BMO Field the other night uh, missed chances. Mm-hmm. I thought that Colorado played well. They're a physical team, and, and certainly in the, the early stages of the game, I was getting a little bit concerned because I mm-hmm. felt that if they were to get a goal and make it 2 1 on aggregate, so they just need another goal to tie it up, and they've got their second away goal, it could make for an interesting finish. But mm-hmm. thankfully, uh, TFC improved. They made a few changes in the second half, and they they came away with a scoreless result. But they're going to have to raise their game against Tigres. I was going to say that they, they, this is a good team, uh, experienced coach. Um, Some say the favourite to to, to yes, win the Concacaf. Yeah. So, I mean, and tr- to go into the volcano, as they call the Stadium El Volcan, mm-hmm. will be a real challenge and a test for the team now yes there's some players have played in the Mexican league and played against Mexican players but mm-hmm. it, it will be um, a tough one first game in Toronto I so we have to get a the result key thing you know. is not to give up uh, any uh, you know goals for Tigres and if they can go down with a couple of goals then maybe they can come through but uh, it's challenging because if they get through Tigres, they come up probably against Club America, who at the moment are in the top in Mexico. Yeah. They haven't lost a game yet. That's what I was looking at, and it, it, it almost looks like we have the hardest route to the final we have. of any. We yeah. have. So if they yeah. get through to the final, that would be a remarkable achievement. No mm. reason why it can't happen. I, I think that, uh, as I mentioned, that there were missed chances. Uh, Right. Some players are still, you know, it's only the second game. Uh, and Off of a break, yeah. You know, it, it takes time to, to get into. And I mean, I think Toronto FC too are a, a team that, I mean, I know I was always like this. <laughs> and that you kind of pl- a lot often play to the level of their competition. 
And yeah. when they're up against good teams, I mean, you saw it against Columbus and stuff like that in the, in the playoffs last mm-hmm. year. They really step up to that level. But at the same time, when they're playing teams that are further down, they almost, yeah. you know, play down to their level a little bit. Yeah, and you knew that was going to happen. Well, I saw it in the first three minutes. There was the first yellow card for mm-hmm. uh, Colorado, and I thought it's going to be one of those games where they're not going to give the key players, Jovinko, you know, time and space that he can create problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, they're a physical team and new coach, changing their style a little bit to what it's been in other years. But I, I thought Colorado did a, did a good job. But uh, thankfully, as I say, TFC, good goalkeeping, defended well in the most part. And mm-hmm. if you shut out opponents, and obviously you're, you're going to get at least one point. Yeah. And, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second, but... Um, so it, this... we're thinking positive, but I, I'm really looking forward to that second game because I've seen some video of the atmosphere in the stadium and that will hopefully show fans in Canada and elsewhere the passion that is generated, you know. It's... We pride ourselves with the, the, the crowd at BMO Field, but... Uh, even that pales in comparison to crowds in Mexico, Central right. America, yeah. South America, where it's just wild. You yeah. know, it's just an you think you're in World War Three with <laughs> the crackers, the firecrackers, the smoke, everything. Yeah. Were you? Did you get to go to the final last year? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite the experience. Yeah. Eh? Just and tremendous. Just I mean, tremendous. and that's for me. I. I um, for me, I mean, that was the, the best sporting experience I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I even, I went down to the World Cup in 2014 in Brazil. Um, and I mean, I get, the major difference is my home team was in it. So that's, yeah. I had something to yeah, really cheer yeah, for. Yeah. Um, but it was like, it was unlike anything in BMO Field that I've ever yeah. experienced before for that final. But you're right, down in Mexico, I mean, even in, in certain places in Europe and stuff, it's... Uh, it's it's like a madhouse. <laughs> it really is the the passions now. Sometimes, of course, they get a little bit out of hand, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's like no other, and uh, I think uh, you know that will that will be a test to see how the team is able to adjust to that kind of atmosphere. And sorry, the question that slipped my mind came back to me, and that was that it, the the great thing about TFC this year too is, I mean, most of the roster has stayed the same. There's been a couple. Yes changes and we've made a few acqu- uh, acquisitions and uh, good acquisitions I think say, well, how do you feel three, about the new players that we've the three players that come in you know uh, will certainly add to the depth in, in, at the back the flank player Vandervel and congratulations you know new father I believe yes yeah, I read that too so uh, he'll be back in the next little while and even just that experience because he's, he's played in a world cup even yeah, you know? he yeah. played in the World Cup final, yeah. so yeah. having a player like that go down to Mexico, I think, is is pretty beneficial. I think that, that uh, it certainly added to the depth in the squad, and uh, that's important if you're going to have a, a good run in in the league and in a tournament such as the Champions mm-hmm. League. So let's let's go beyond Toronto FC now. Who are some of who are some of your favorite teams and favorite players to watch at the moment worldwide? 
Worldwide, I, I think you, you've you've always got uh, the the individuals Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, mm-hmm. Lionel Messi, Neymar Junior. Although hopefully he will recover. He's got this problem now with mm-hmm. the the injury that hopefully will not keep him out of the the World Cup. It'll certainly keep him out of the key game against uh, Real Madrid. Against Real Madrid, and they're already down too. And they're already down, but. Uh, those are the kind of players that, that excite me. Mm-hmm. Gareth Bale for me, obviously. Yeah, he, he's he's had a tough time with injuries, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I don't think he, he ranks up there with the likes of uh, the three players I've mentioned mm-hmm. because it's just like with Michael Jordan getting the basketball. What's going to happen next? Right. Gretzky receiving the puck. You know, these are the kind of players that will do things, make the things happen. The best, yeah. And that's what the fans pay to see. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I can't see that changing. You know, they're, they're certainly going to do it in the World Cup as well as uh, for their clubs in the, uh, in the Champions League. Who do, you, who do you fancy for Champions League this year? It would be great for a team like Manchester City, I think, to, to mm-hmm. come out on top. For so long, we've had to second best usually to Spanish teams I think uh, Barcelona will be uh, certainly a contender but uh, I I certainly think that Manchester City given the depth of the squad Mm -hmm. they've improved from last year and Pep Guardiola I I think is a modern coach and uh, is bringing them forward and having this sort of marvellous run apart from the game against them. I mean, they're running away with yeah, the, yeah. the Premier League yeah. at the moment. Um, it's it's interesting this year because they've got this, I mean, the top six are pretty much assured, but you've got yeah. this gap <laughs> Yeah, that's almost like the, the race to be at the bottom pretty much is actually, you know, in pretty incredible right now. There's only something like 10 points that separate 15 teams right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the thing that North Americans find hard to judge where teams will get promoted and relegated. Yeah. And it, it certainly, as you mentioned with the Premiership, the number of teams that separate only by a few points yeah. from going down to the Championship and other teams at the top, of course, wanting to get into, into the Europe. Yeah. Into Europe. But it makes it interesting because I think in a lot of leagues in Europe, if we look there's an example, there's maybe two, three teams. Yes, you've got Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Barcelona in, in mm-hmm. Spain. You've got Bayern being dominant, you know, in, uh, in Germany. Yeah. In Germany, of course, uh, PSG in, in France. There's usually just two or three teams, maybe, that uh, are in contention. But in the Premiership, it's, it's really going to be a dogfight yeah. to see who goes up into Europe and who gets relegated. Uh, and there's so much money involved. I, oh, you know, this, a... this is the thing that gets me. I, I was just going through a, my scrapbook the other day, and there was an autograph program by and from Sir Stanley Matthews to yeah. my pal Dick. Yeah. And I remember sitting down and having a, a cup of tea with Mila, his wife, and Stan. Anne and I went over one afternoon when he was living in Toronto. And he said that he was getting £10 a week. 
Now, okay, yes, the, the money was different in, in that, that time, time to the current time. You know, this is the, the 50s. But Neymar is getting what? Well, they can break it down now by the second that yeah. he's playing and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's... It, it's it's astronomical. I, yeah. I cannot believe that. I say, yes, the top players deserve it, but there's some very mediocre players that are getting two, three $300,000 a week. Mm-hmm. My first contract with Chester, I think, was... Fourteen pounds, and we got three pounds for a draw, <laughs> six pounds for a, a win, and we got a little bit more if we went away from home. But you know, yeah, it, it's 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 crazy. But this is the business of football. Mm-hmm. I got into this discussion with a friend of mine, the late John Kerr, who was working for the Players Association in North America, the NESL Players Association, former national team player for Canada. And I got into this discussion with him and I said, John, it's just ridiculous what they're getting paid. Mm -hmm. He said, Dick, if the club comes to you and says, Dick Howard, we're going to give you £100,000 or $100,000 a week, are you going to say, oh, oh, I'm not worth that much? (laughs) Right, of course. You will take it. And this is what's happening now with the ownership of premiership teams in England. Mm -hmm. The local businessman, the Bill Kenwright, that he's still got a part and parcel of Evan Football Club, is a local entrepreneur, they're gone by, you know, mm-hmm. these are multi-million organisations, Middle East mm-hmm. and Russia, you name it. And, and the money that they're throwing around is phenomenal. And it's, it was like every couple of years, Manchester United would kind of keep upping what was the top yeah. level they could give out. And then yeah. this year, it was like almost doubled with yeah. Neymar. Yeah. <laughs> like it yeah. was un- incredible money for that transfer. I mean, you could save small countries with the amount of money that was being... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's incredible, but it's it's the nature of the times. And, yeah, yeah, you know, and it's a business. At the end, it's, you know, it's, it's a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, now, I, I assume from where you grew up, I I know as an analyst you have to be pretty unbiased. But do you have a team you support in the the Premier League? I fell into the River Mersey once, and I came out blue. So I'm an Evertonian through. Oh, really? Okay. I would have thought Liverpool, based on you know where you you grew up. But. No, it's been Everton is uh, in the family, and my grandfather had a season ticket for Goodison Park, the Gladys Street stand, mm-hmm. and occasionally I go with Granddad Kettlewell to watch Everton play, and it was great, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that time. And I, I've always followed them, and they've had their. Ups and downs. Ups and downs. You know, it's been a little bit rocky earlier this season. Mm-hmm. The firing of the coach and Big Sam coming in, but they'll hold it on. They'd be middle of the table. Yeah, I think with Lukaku last season, it gave them a little bit extra. Yeah, but uh, this year they they don't have that kind of person that can put the ball in the back of the net. So Everton has always been my team. Nilsatis needs the optimum. Nothing is satisfactory, but the best is the right. motto of the team. Yeah. Yeah, that was, and, and they've always been a pretty exciting team to watch normally too. Yeah. Uh, you know, exciting yeah. football at least. Yeah. And I mean, that's my problem right now. And I, to be honest, it's the reason I haven't watched as much Premier League this year. And it's, I'm a Manchester United supporter. And, and okay. throughout the Ferguson that's years. That's good, that's good. Yeah. Adam. Throughout the Ferguson years, I was always accused of being a bandwagoner. Yeah. But the reason being, my, my, my dad was a Manchester United supporter, so I grew yeah. up with it in yeah. the house. Um, and he was a Manchester United supporter because George Best played for yeah. United, and that was his what a hero. His hero. What a player! Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, my 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 dad would always 
he, uh, his, his story was always the story of where they interviewed Pelé and said, how does it feel to best, be the best player in the world? And Pelé said, I'm not the best player in the world. George Best is the best yeah, player in the world. Yeah. Anyways, so that was always his story. And um, he, my dad was just my dad's hero. So that's how Manchester United came in our family. But I have to admit, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the Mourinho style of soccer. No. And so it's been tough. It's been tough as a fan to. I mean, he's a great coach, but it's just it's it's been tough to yeah. to watch actually. Yeah. Because uh, I do like that that Ferguson style, fast paced. Yeah, style Fergie of football, yeah, you know. did a marvelous job. You know, when you look at his philosophy mm-hmm. and uh, the way he wanted his team to play, it, it was just tremendous. And Mourinho, the end justifies the means, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the psychological warfare that he gets into with other coaches, but uh, yes, it's a, it's a different. Ferguson, he, it's great and little story which explains Alex Ferguson. The year two thousand, Manchester United were down playing in the World Club Championship mm-hmm. in Brazil. I was doing some writing at the time for the Sun of Sun newspaper, and I thought, geez, it would be great to cover that. So I, I flew down for the final game. Prior to going down, a friend of mine said, geez, I played with Fergie, and Fergie wrote about me in his book, Could You Get Fergie's Autograph? <laughs> Point one. His daughter then piped up and said, oh, David Beckham plays for them as well, doesn't you? Can you get David Beckham's autograph? So I go down with Alex Ferguson's book with page, which, I forget which page this guy's mentioned in, but he is mentioned, mm-hmm. David Thompson. And uh, I go down, check into my hotel, walk down to the hotel where the Man United players are, and sitting around the pool, having a bit of sunshine. Where's Fergie? Oh, he's in his room. So before I went and left a message for Fergie, I got David Beckham's autograph, so I thought Mm. that's one thing done. I went up, uh, phoned the room, there was no answer, so I left a message to the effect of Dick Howard from Toronto, Canada, Friend of David Thompson, uh, it'd be great if I could have a chat with you. And just left the message. Went down to the pool, talked with the players a little bit more, then went back. And this time I phoned the room and Fergie answered. And he said, oh, guy, Dick, knee baller, come on up and have a, we, we chat. So I went up and talked to him about the game coming up and uh, the season, the upcoming season and so on. And got the autograph and went back to my own hotel. The hotel manager said, look, Mr. Howard, there's a message for you here. Uh, would you like to have it? So I got the message, and it was a phone message from Alec Ferguson. <laughs> he phoned me at the hotel, said, Dick, I believe you're trying to get in touch with me. Just give me a call back, and uh, we can get together. Now, I think how many managers would do that? Right. For but apparently that's the way he was. You know, there was a lady that would have a season ticket sitting near to the Manchester United bench and he'd always say hello to her. Oh, wow. And then one time she wasn't there and he's told that she passed away and he went to the funeral. Oh, wow. You know, so he was a very... Personable is, manager. Personable yeah. manager. Well, that story, I always remember that because he was so good chatting to him when I did get to him eventually. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, when he left the message for me. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And what was David Beckham like as a person? Oh, too? Be- Beck's was fine, you know. Yeah. He, 
That was my uh, that was my hero growing up yeah. because I, that I was delighted. I'm going to be interested with this Miami FC. I, yes, I've, yeah, I've gone too. on record of telling people. I said his first signing will be Cristiano Ronaldo. Just wait. Do you think so, eh? Because Ronaldo then will be 34, yeah. 35. North America would appeal. Yeah, it'd be similar to Miami, David especially yeah. in Miami, high profile. Yeah, Spanish speaking. Yeah. Uh, so Interesting. we'll yeah. see. That's a but, good prediction. Um, but no, yeah. I, I, as I say, I, I've always been impressed with the way David Beckham has conducted himself. You know, mm. both on and off the field. Yeah. And now with the Spice Girls getting reunited, <laughs> Bex buying or with the Miami FC. Jeez, yeah. exciting he's a busy, times. He's a busy guy. He was. That was my. I mean, I when I started, you know, paying attention. When I was old enough to pay attention to teams, I mean, he was. I was a Manchester United supporter and a. So Beckham was was my I, player. I did watch. Uh, no, I did go and watch Manchester United though. When they, in the early days when they were playing in Europe, yeah, my father and a friend of the family would always drive into the European games, and I would always go with them. So I have okay. fond memories. Do you of watching Real Madrid in those early days playing Man U because it was such a great rivalry and seeing these guys coming out in all white, tanned and fit. Yeah. You know, just an aura about Real Madrid in those days. Then, of course, Munich. And I was at the first game after Munich against Sheffield Wednesday and seeing the 11 blanks, fill in the blanks mm. that he was going to play in that game. Yeah. Just incredible. You know, I, like I mentioned that I went down to a Royal Cup, but, I mean, one that's still on the bucket list for me, and I'm upset that I never did it while Ferguson was there and stuff, is see a game in Old Trafford. And I've been because yeah. my, my mum's family still live in just outside Belfast so yeah, I've been okay. we go every couple of years and I've been to Old Trafford but we usually go in the summer so it's the off season Yeah. so I've still got to get over there for oh it's it, a great tour of the, yeah it is uh, it is and it's quite a, what a facility you know oh yeah and the tour is great they literally take yeah. you everywhere yeah. you get no, into the, I, the change the room tour. and everything yeah I've been on the, in fact a lot of the grounds are doing that now which I think is, is tremendous I know there's a good tour in Camp Nou in New Camp mm-hmm. in Barcelona uh, Everton have a tour, uh, you know, all, all the teams yeah. have a tour and they involve former players, maybe taking you around, telling you stories and yeah. so on. Good thinking. I have been, I've been to Champions League once and that's um, even above Manchester United. My dad was a, a Glasgow Rangers supporter. Okay. And uh, we were over for, and always, if we were going over, my dad's strategy was always, let's catch a match somewhere while we're over yeah. there. So we caught one in Northern Ireland with, between um, Linfield and, and um, Glentorn. Okay, the Glens. And, yeah, yeah, the Glens. So, which was, in our family, it's interesting because our family's all split between yeah. the two teams. And uh, so we went to that. And then um, there was a Champions League match. At, uh, Rangers had qualified. It was before they went bankrupt. And um, they had qualified, and they were, they were playing a Turkish team at home in Ibrox. Yeah. And we went over for it. And that was quite the experience I mean I mean glad you yeah. talk about a a, <laughs> a manic place yeah. for soccer supporters oh, yeah. Glasgow's Glasgow's well, I, up I went there. to an old firm clash I've only been to one have you been to a Ranger Celtic yeah I was invited by uh, Andy Roxborough who was the national team manager for Scotland mm-hmm. I, I'd been in touch with him we'd done a FIFA course together and uh, I said I'd be in Glasgow he said oh can I Dick come on up and I'll get you the tickets he couldn't go to the game. He was out of town. 
but Craig Brown, who was his assistant, picked me up at the railway station and drove me to uh, the game was at Ibrox, and I sat in the the players' box, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it must have been quite the experience. Unbelievable. My dad always told me there's nothing nothing like a Rangers Celtic match, no. and I'll, I'll tell you a story actually. So. My dad had would told me about the story. It was some fella he was friendly with at, at the pub, who was a sports fanatic, and he had just bought tickets to the Super Bowl, and mm-hmm. he was going down to the Super Bowl, and he goes, "Oh, Ron, I'm so excited! You know, it's going to be the best sporting experience I've ever been to. Like, it's the best sporting experience you can go to." And my dad said, "Maybe second best." <laughs> he goes, "The best one." Is a Rangers Celtic match, and the guy goes, "What? Just any, any, any match?" And he says, "Yeah, any, any of one. When they're playing, there's nothing like it." And he goes, "There's no way. This is the Super Bowl I'm talking yeah, about." Yeah. My dad said, "I'll make you a fifty dollar bet. You go to the Super Bowl. I'll take you to a Rangers Celtic match, and if you tell me what you enjoy more." So the guy went to the Super Bowl. Sure enough, next at some point, Rangers and Celtic were playing, and they went over for it. He took this guy over. Great. They went, and my dad said at halftime, the guy turned to me. Gave him fifty dollars. Said, "Here you go." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Game over. Game yeah, over. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was the singing and. Oh yeah. Of course, some of it you have to delete. But yeah. Uh, the ones I felt for, and I, I was chatting to one of the players' wives. She said, "It's it's great if the team's winning." Yes, it's not so great. Jesus. Now, were you in Ibrox or were you in Ibrox? You're in Ibrox. Yeah. 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 Wow, incredible. Well, before we wrap it up, let's talk. I wanted to quickly talk about the World Cup upcoming. Um, and I mean, this is particularly an interesting World Cup with, I mean, the qualifying was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So teams that, you know, you'd expect odd, mm-hmm. no matter what, no brainer they'd be in it, not making it. Mm-hmm. And teams that you'd never think would qualify are, are making Clare it. St. Avenue will be very quiet. It will be. June, it will July. be. It will be. Um, who 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 are you fancying for for the World Cup? I think the the, the usual culprits yeah. are Brazil and the Germans and Germany. <laughs> I think Belgium. Mm-hmm. You know they impressed with with the, the qualifying, and if they can stay healthy, they've got a good nucleus of players playing in the Premiership, and I think they will, will be a contender. It's funny you mentioned Belgium because they're in the same group as England. Mm-hmm. How do you England? How do you feel about England? England, if they can get to the quarterfinal, I think it'll be a real bonus. Yeah, I don't feel too confident that they're going to do well. Mainly because they've got these problems between the posts. You know, mm-hmm. traditionally England have had you know the best goalkeepers in the tournament in the, the era of Shilton and Clements and and the like. Gordon Banks, of course, prior to. And I've not been impressed by the level of goalkeeping, you know, with regards to Joe Hart, I think is hot and cold. Yeah. Not starting with West Ham United. Now, who's the starting keeper now for England? Well, they've had Butland play. He had a, a... Mistake in a recent game that was well documented, and, that, and that's been a, a big factor for many years now, even dating back to David Seaman and David and Seaman, stuff. yeah. You know, so uh, I'm a bit concerned with regards to that. And uh, Harry Kane, of course, is having an outstanding season up front. 
the one positive thing for England is, and is something that has not happened in recent years, is that England won the Under-17 World Cup, the Under-20 World Cup. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some very good young players coming through, but I think they're a little bit, you know, too young to, to impress in a tournament of the nature of the World Cup. Yeah. I feel England's missing that, that, that leader, too, a yeah. little bit right now. Yeah. You know, like an Alan Shearer. Yeah. Or, you know, or even a David Beckham or Paul Scholes, you know. Um, I mean, I feel that's what Manchester United, ever since Scholes left, I feel like Manchester United's mm-hmm. had a hole there. Um, but yeah, England's always been an interesting one for the World Cup anyways. There's always been so much pressure on them to do well. Yeah. And oh, and there's always, and there'll be high expectations this time around. There I'm always sure, is. But, you know. uh, I can't see them going too far in the tournament. Have you ever have you ever heard of the the book Soccernomics? Yes. Yeah. Have you yeah. read it? Yes. Yeah. There's well, an inter- there's a whole chapter in that book called Why England Always Loses. Yeah. yeah. And it's quite interesting. They they you know I mean, you have to take it with a grain of salt, but there is you know some interesting logics in there. Um, and I I, I I read it years ago. So, but uh, yeah, I can't recall. The, but it was interesting. Reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I mean. And, not a lot of work gets done during World Cup time. <laughs> no, no. And I think it's, it's unfortunate the states are not there. They, yeah, it is. It certainly blew it against T in Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah. Not taking anything away from Trinidad and Tobago. But yeah. They should not lose those kind of games. And that was a real shocker. Mm-hmm. Italy, it's, it's unfortunate <laughs> they were in a tough group with Spain and, mm-hmm. and Sweden just raised the level of their game and on their day can be a difficult team to beat it's great seeing uh, the, you know the Iceland phenomena yes, it's, yeah. you know, things like that teams like that make it a... but uh, I think if you, you look at either Brazil or Germany uh, notwithstanding the, the game in, in Brazil yeah. and you said you were down there for 2014 you know what I, have to, I was lucky I left I think it was two days before yeah. that match I left the day actually I watched the game they beat Colombia in the airport. Yeah. So the last match I went to was um, France and Germany in the quarterfinal. Great. Yeah. At, at, um, I went in for the semifinals. Maracana. So, so when you we probably fly, your flight was coming north, and I was you were flying down south. when I was flying back. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I've never seen so many people crying in the streets. You know, in that. I, I bet. Game. I bet, and it was. It was unbelievable. A, like I was saying, we flew home that day of, of the, the game they beat Colombia. Yeah. And um, we, my, I was with my cousin. There was six of us that went down, but me and my one cousin stayed the longest. And we couldn't find a, we found, it. Took us an hour to find a taxi to take us to the airport because the match was on. Yeah. The streets are deserted when Brazil's playing. Yeah. Everyone's at the yeah. beach watching yeah. the game. Um, but yeah, it was it was an incredible experience yeah. down there, and I mean, it was like I said, it was one of my it was my top bucket list was to go to yeah. a World Cup, and we're better than in, yeah. in Mine Brazil. Mine was to see a World Cup final in the Maracana, which yeah, I did obviously. But uh... now let me ask you one one more question, actually, because it just came to mind, and that's that I think the next World Cup it's changing formats to something similar to they did in the Euro. How did you feel about the new format? in the European Cup with with you know teams you know certain third more teams being in it and certain third place teams making it out of the group and 
I personally don't like that too much. You know, I'm I'm not in favour of increasing the number of teams qualifying for the World Cup mm-hmm. in, uh, in in Qatar. Qatar, you know, yeah. the 48. It waters it down a little bit. It, it, it yeah. waters it down, and uh, that's the feeling I have with regards to that. I'm, in, in some aspects, I think the, the game has got to change around, but uh, it's all tied in with dollars and cents. I think, right? Of course, Money. of course. I, I, and I, to be honest, I felt like the Euro Cup was was a bit watered yeah. down in the end. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it worked out great for our country, Northern Ireland, yeah. and they made it out, oh, yeah. but. Then you had a team who won it, who finished in yeah. third, you know, in yeah. their group and didn't, they tied on their way to the, the semifinal pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, but it, it's going to be a good tournament. I hope that it'll be incident free mm-hmm. you know, with regards to it. Uh, usually I never no, is. Though, I have no but... desire to go to it. I yeah. feel that my last World Cup with the media, because I was working for CBC Radio at the time, yeah. would be Brazil. It would be Brazil. It. Okay. Uh, yeah, the next couple will be tough. I mean, <laughs> and then of course there's the the situation now with the concerns that the, the United bid with USA, Canada, and yes, Mexico yeah. is going to really have a tough time against Morocco. Really, you know the yeah real groundswell of people feeling that uh, it could well go to Morocco because of what's happening politically in right. the United States. Yeah. And that would be devastating because Peter Montopoli was talking the other day about the um, economic benefits, and it's five billion dollars. Wow! The economic clout, you know, with that comes with the world, tourism yeah. and everything else, with the World Cup. Should it come to our area of the world? And I mean, just think of what it would do for soccer here too. You know? Oh yeah. 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 So keep our fingers crossed. I think that's but, a good note uh, to, to wrap things up on. <laughs> let's hope that it does, doesn't happen and that we get 2026. I hope so too. Well, thank you very much, Dick, for again, for coming on the show. We really appreciate My you having me. My pleasure, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. Good. It's good to get the Irish connection as well. Yes, of course. Adam Antion.